Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. As we all know, writing poetry can help us better express ourselves and make sense of the world and our place in it. Tonight, four poets, Alison Adler, Kathy Barham, Kathleen Cohen, and Christina E. Johnson will lift their voices and read poetry that takes us to places that will inspire us and brighten the spirit and sometimes provide comfort and catharsis. In other words, poems that explore the lifespan. These sisters in the name of poetry all hail from the great state of Pennsylvania and joined forces several years ago to create a poetry writing community. I invite Kathleen Cohen to share her thoughts on the group's formation and why it's been important to develop a poetic community. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you so much. Good evening, Kathleen. Good evening, Michael. Hello. How are you tonight? Fine. And you? I'm fantastic. Share your truth, Kathy. All right. So thank you, Michael, for having us on your wonderful program. Uh, It's such a gift to have a community and the support of other poets. In our group tonight, Allison, Kathy, and I have worked with each other the longest, workshopping poems on a monthly basis. We study together with A.V. Christie and Natalie Anderson, both talented poets and teachers. Christina joined us more recently. I'm grateful not only to read with them tonight, but generally for their presence and for their friendship, which keeps growing. We read our poems in progress and listen deeply to each other's work. Individually and as a collective, we bring to bear our perspectives and life experiences offering honest responses and advice when asked. I feel safe and supported when I read my first draft to them, and I hope you all do too, friends. (laughs) Um, We set out some themes that we wanted to address tonight, and here are some of them. One is that we will each share an inspiring poem written by someone other than ourselves. We also will share some poems that deal with the now and with social concerns, with the power of nature, with friendship, and, and talking about those who have influ- influenced us. Also, we are going to touch upon mortality. Looking at my friends, I am reminded of their insight, beauty, and wisdom, and none of us is young. We have lived a few decades. <laughs> so thank you, Michael. That, that's what I had to say. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much. Our very first poet tonight is Allison Adler. Good evening, Allison. Hi, good evening, Michael. Am I getting through? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. All right, great. Okay. Um, 
So I'm going to introduce myself. I, um, I'm, I live in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. I'm a mother of two sons and two grandsons. I've been a psychotherapist for 40 years, uh, but I began my working life as a poetry therapist in a psychiatric setting. I've been writing poetry again for the past 20 years, thanks to Kathleen Cohn, who just introduced us uh, to the group, to everybody listening. And Kathleen Cohn is the person who invited me back into the world of poetry again. So I wouldn't be here without her. So that's Kathy Cohn for you. Um, uh, I'm choosing to begin my reading uh, with a poet named Hilda Morley, um, who I got interested in about eight years ago, went looking for where is his, her work. She's no longer living and found out that her work is boxed in the Berg Collection, which has many wonderful, famous manuscripts at the New York Public Library when I started researching her. So I wanted to read a po- tell you a little bit about Hilda Morley because not too many people know about her. She was born in 1916 in New York City to Russian emigre parents, but moved to Palestine with her mom at 15, went to college in London before World War II, and then returned to New York City during the Blitz to work for the Committee for Jewish Refugees from Germany. Her first husband, Eugene Morley, was an abstract expressionist painter and introduced her to artists in New York. Many of her poems were written about art or artists. Her second husband of 20 years, Stefan Volpe, was an avant-garde composer like a John Cage, and I think they were friends. And uh, they were friends with many writers and musicians in New York City. They taught at Black Mountain College in Asheville, North Carolina, for five years before it closed. Hilda was influenced by the experimental poetics of Charles Olson and Robert Creeley that was called projective verse. Focus was on the breath to inform the line, spacing, line breaks, and punctuation. Their goal was to transfer energy from the writer to the listener, as opposed to the traditional method of poetic composition based on received forms and formal measures. For them, breath determined everything rather than rhyme, meter, or sense. These poems were scored like music as they composed them aloud and then scored them. Hilda did not publish anything until 1976 when she was 60, a few years after Stefan died from Parkinson's. Several books followed, and her last book, The Turning, was completed just before she died at 82 in the year 1998. She spent her whole life working on Stefan's biography. And you can read more about her if you like her her work um, from poets.org or the Poetry Foundation. And uh, her poems look very different on the page with spacing, odd punctuation, and unusual positioning. So I'm going to read a poem called A Lesson in Floating for Sally Appleton. And I'll do my best, but it's hard to read because it's not standard um, lineation. Leap out into the air to begin with. You'll find more of a footing there than you thought possible. Once you're out there floating, a thousand undiscovered arms and fins 
wings and legs will sprout to hold you up. And if you keep on moving, but then only, new kinds of breathing will begin. You will grasp in your arms what seem to be empty, wind or mist or merely a draught of air before the very coldness of it throwing you forward in great strides, unbroken leaps and hurtling lunges that can stretch you. The cold air filling your bones and veins where it grows rounder, pulls your weight upward and farther, where whatever is cold grows warmer when mixed with breath, yours and fuller, to pump itself through your eyes and outward so whoever remains below can see something in the air, can see a fragment of it shifting ahead, the cresting of a new substance we can't yet give a name to. But try it. Learn to immerse yourself in strangeness, which seems like coldness only when it's unused. If you need wings, fins, arms, then find them. Whatever can tire you dissolves with the mist. There is no arrival unless it is always. No support there unless you give it. O beauty of trusting to the bottomless air, light is the element. It is inexhaustible and it ends with no punctuation. So you're out floating in space. Uh, The first poem of mine that I'm going to read is a sonnet. It's written for my friend's daughter after a difficulty delivery of her first child this summer. It's titled The Wait for Susie After the Birth of Miles. Your basketball of a belly was large as my own that summer 40 years ago awaiting my son's entrance through the portal, his head crowning, ordinary as a sunrise. I breathed and pushed the nurse naming callers, my mother, father, brothers, grandmother, and back labor and spasms. 40 hours of unrelenting waves until finally I said uncle and a C-section delivered me a healthy boy, eight pounds, 14 ounces. It would not be the only time my body disappointed, not a blissful nursing mother whose milk flowed like nana, but I tried and we persisted no matter how scared, how flawed, how pained by his wails and awed by the weight of my new world now cradled in my arms. Last time I was here, I read a poem called Ode to Tasha, who was my next to last dog. So I felt I owed our newest who's been with me for eight years, plus for eight years now. I thought Pretzel deserved a poem. So this is called Ode to Pretzel. Just a white terrier mutt You're no one regal or entitled. Your feathered tail a flag announcing joy or pleasure. Permission to come close, closer. Then your exposed belly invites rub, but please be gentle. Rescue when you were two or three. Your rib healed, perhaps a mother, but we have no history. Your brown nose rubbed raw, eyes muddy pools darting from shadows, but oh, playful puppy inside. Now, eight years later, 
and prance around our garden pathways like a proud landowner surveying her kingdom. Enroll in the mulch to reclaim your territory where another has slept or peed. Just a boomer in dog ears singing in the chorus of our home, all windows facing woods and sunset where deer, fox, and birds visit daily. As I head toward the door with my keys, your upturned eyes say, please take me with you. Jumping for joy when I return, pause up. I missed you, hugging my knees. At noon, you await grilled cheese on pita. All evening, you nap on my lap as we watch TV. My barometric pressure decoder, you tremble hours before rain. In your early days, Bearing your teeth at women with pointy shoes, now you sleep at my feet. O oh, daughter of patience, of unconditional everything, who rescued whom? O oh, fierce barker, my protector, you sniff my breath each morning to guarantee I'm still breathing. Then bolt off the bed with yesterday's socks to bury them in your crate along with uneaten dog food under the blue flannel blanket, just in case of need, as if it's a well-kept secret. My next poem is inspired from two things. um, It's a memory poem. Uh, It was inspired by Christopher Gilbert's uh, memory poem. And it was also inspired by a line from a poet named Amy Gersler, in a poem for Bernard. And the line that inspired me was, we're down here in the basement dodging bombs. Out of the blue. I remember hiding when I was 10 inside my grandfather's black travel trunk after my mother hastened us into the basement that November Sunday in 1962. My childhood friend Lynn recalls everything that day. A plane crashed into one small house on a populated Long Island suburban street. Only a thud inside my house two blocks away. But Lynn was playing next door to where the plane went down. She felt the crash, felt checkers and snacks splatter to the floor. Parents yelling, get outside, hurry, sirens screaming. Saw the house in flames, house where a baby sleeping in his crib stopped breathing. Lynn's mom ran towards her crying, arms open, hugging her, as she did rarely before or after. The next day, my mom walked me over to see the charred remains block of houses lined up, gaping hole in a mouth of white teeth. In school that fall, we practiced sitting cross-legged, our backs against the hall wall, hands shielding our heads, praying that Fidel Castro, Cuba's president, wouldn't drop the bomb. This decade, it's guns, targeting church, synagogue, nightclub, concert, school, Connecticut, Arizona, Las Vegas, Parkland, last week outside a Buffalo supermarket, 
this week in Uvalde, Texas. Angry young men pulling the trigger on their AR-15 at food shoppers. At fourth graders watching a movie on the last day of school. I remember sitting on my front porch facing the green ash tree. I was 10, listening into silence for planes. My mind an erased chalkboard, wording, waiting. No words for, and now I'm going to read. Last time I read two poems for my mother. So this time I'm going to read two poems from my father. The first poem is in the form invented by Jericho Brown um, called The Duplex, which is a poem of couplets, 14 lines. So it's a combination of sonnet, puzzle, and the blues. And in these couplets, the first and the last line are repeated. Solid is gray granite for my father. My hand resting in my father's after his stroke. Hospital bed in the living room, that long year he laid. Light streaming in, that long year in the dying room, where he lay silent, patient, with no complaints. A patient waiting for breath to leave him. Life no longer a gift, no longer a participant. No longer a gift giver, but a reluctant recipient. Choosing quiet surrender with grace. Call it graceful surrender of practiced silence. And when his eyes chose to see you, you felt chosen, selected, fully seen his bearing, his being, solid to the bone, bone to the core, to his still beating heart. After his stroke, my hand resting in my father's. The next poem for my father is a recent poem that came out of a dream. And you should know that my dad died over 10 years ago. Um, but that, I don't know that in this dream. In the dream, my father still speaks to me. And this is also in couplets. Sitting in the aisle seat on an empty plane, I always choose the window. I never choose the aisle. I am the only passenger. Has it been eight months or eight years? Every day after dinner, I call my dad who's in Florida lying in a hospital bed in the living room, his body still, his voice weak. Nine months after his stroke, but he still rallies to chat with me and asks the usual question. I'm sitting on a plane, I say. Am I traveling with him? Why else would I be here? The minutes hang. I have all the time in the world. I ask, what are you doing? Not how, but what. I'm bicycling, he says. And I almost believe him. But on Brooklyn streets, he never learned how to ride a two-wheeler. Too busy shooting hoops with Finney and Larry. My dad, Speedy, held the pink bicycle seat. And when he let go, sprinted for blocks beside me. As I awaken, I remember his ashes resting in the cloisonnet urn 
facing my garden. So I have two more poems. This poem, um, I had a stroke in December of 2016, and I didn't know it. And the day after my stroke, I walked around New York City. And this poem is about the experience of how I felt post-stroke, not knowing I had one, um, walking around New York City and how I felt connected to something larger than myself. It's in the form of a sonnet, and it's spoken from the bird's point of view. So it's the bird speaking. After the stroke, or as the crow flies. That December morning, we fly 40 blocks south along Central Park West, above bare trees. Her down coat, my black feathered sheen. No raucous coin, two beings, joined together. I perch on a branch. She sits on a bench. We glide forward, threaded. My wings, her ten-toed feet. Sky, a sequined pool. Hold propels us. Her breath forms tears. My wings brush her cheeks. Above and below, the pull of a power. No words for. Blue world silent as a swimmer, navigating the brain's internal workings in search of unclogged pathways. We climb, we glide in transparent light, our tethered world fluttering. And this is after W.S. Merwin's poem, Anytime. And my last poem, um, which is a list poem, the title and the epigraph are from Ocean Vong's new book. And it's his title and epigraph. Reasons for staying. Because this body is my last address. Ocean Vong. If the teacher knocks, I'll open the red door. Around the dinner table, four couples who share a 40-year history. How the feather leaf maple bows to welcome me. Because sunset's kaleidoscope surprises even the sky. When a red-tailed hawk circles over, I feel the pull. At summer's close, two apricot roses bloom finally. Rolling in my zen garden, a litter of four fox kits. Delight listening to my gap-toothed grandson's list as he learns to read. Because I'm still a portal for offering and receiving. A thrift shopper's find. Murano glass ashtrays, Nakashima table, salt and pepper shakers, Kandinsky lithographs, purses, bracelets, boots, belts. How live music propels my feet. Because the underself recognizes signs. Hummingbirds sip at the feeder, their ruby necklace glittering. Because now I see through my mother's eyes. My body no longer my enemy. How the garden demands weeding. I almost forgot the bluebird's nesting. Because of unpredictable laughter. And when the teacher comes, I'm ready. Thanks for listening. Wow. Allison Shore Adler.
I'd like to thank you for sharing such beautiful and touching work. Beautiful You're and welcome, touching. Michael. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. <laughs> I have a question for you. Okay, okay. All right. When you think about your life and your earliest poems, how does your message differ today? So here's what I have to say. I, I thought you gave us this a little in advance, so I had a little chance to think about it. <laughs> so right. we cheated. So, so um, what, I, what I wanted to say to you, Michael, is I don't think I have a good answer to that question, but I'll tell you what came up for me. Um, okay. And that's that. I don't think about my message very much, and I'll be interested to hear what my other friends say. Um, because for me, the poem is like the way I think about therapy, not surprisingly, uh, since I'm a therapist. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation that's always personal and particular and in process and an exploration about where and how and who you are in the world at every, any given point in the time. So it keeps changing. And when I'm writing a poem, or trying to write a poem, or beginning to write a poem, I'm talking to myself in the beginning. And the poem's an exploration that begins in one place but keeps changing, can travel anywhere as images and insights expand the original theme. Uh, So often the process, and I think this is what excites me, and the messages are surprising to me. But when the poem's received by others, then it becomes part of a larger conversation. And, of course, being 30 or 50 or, for me, now 70, um, your lens on the the world (laughs) keeps evolving by what you've lost and what you've found by all your experiences. And, of course, as you age, time becomes much more precious. So those are the things that your question made me think about and reflect on. All right. Very nice. I would like to bring in your sisters for their comments. (laughs) Kathleen and Kathy and Christina, what are you all thinking? What are you thinking? Anyone can share. Really powerful images in the work that she's she's read tonight. Um, It's so funny because one of the things I wrote down in particular was the birds speaking and the wings brushing against the cheek. You know, so I was just really struck by the imagery. Right. Someone else, what are you thinking? Um, Kathy Gam, um, Allison, thank you. I've I've heard some of these poems, um, some I haven't. Um I I see so much growth um since when I first met you. Um, your exploration, um, the leaps you make. Um I love the pretzel poem. Um, I'm a dog lover, and <laughs> I love the humor in that. Um, I love the compassion in in all your poems. Um, yeah, so right on, sister. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Kathy. It's Kathy oh, Kathleen here, and I'll just quickly add, I've heard some of these in process, and your incisive um, intelligence and humanity always comes through, and I just love them and, and, and touch to hear them. So thank you. Thank you so know, much, my friend. <laughs> you. Allison, I think I'm going, to break, I'm going to break my own rule here. I said I wouldn't, but I am. I'm going to ask this question. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? 
Uh, yeah, probably I do. I think that I was writing when I was young, but I was songwriting. So, yeah, probably, mm-hmm. probably. And then somewhere in the middle of my life when I was busy working with children, you know, from like 30 to 50, um, and I was yes. working, busy working also, and I had young children, I stopped writing in that kind of way. So when Kathy Cohn invited me back into the poetry world, um, when I, I, somebody, I, I, um, we became good friends immediately, and I thought, I don't know anybody who's a poet, so, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, she's also an artist. But um, so I think when she invited me into that world, and then we went to the Dodge Poetry Festival, and it was right mm-hmm. after 9-11, or maybe it was the year before, 1999, two years before 9-11. And then after 9-11, to be in a place with all those poets together, talking about what was going on in the world when in, in a traumatic time, I think was very, very moving and very important to me. So I think I was a poet in a lot of ways, and I used language as a therapist, but I wasn't mm-hmm. really writing until then, until I was probably closer to 50. And that's because of Kathy Cohn inviting me into that. All right. So, yeah. Very nice. And my last question, my last question is, what surprises you most about being a poet? Me? What surprised me most? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, you know, there's so many things that are really wonderful and surprising. Um, I've met so many wonderful people. I have a whole new world of friends from all (laughs) over the world. And with famous people and regular people, and they all love poetry. And so, you know, like you have this show that loves poetry, Michael. And poets are really important to the world. And I, I think most people look, look, I remember my friends looking at me when I told them I was going to write poetry. Like, I was like, there was something really wrong with me. <laughs> you know, my, you know, they were in the regular world, and they thought I was a regular person. And then all of a sudden, I'm a poet. So I, I think that some people don't really understand what poetry can do or offer yes. um, in mm-hmm. so many ways. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I can All say right. about that. Well, thank you, Allison Shaw Adler, again, for sharing such wonderful, touching work. All right. You see, sisters, why I need to ask those two questions, were you meant to be a poet and <laughs> what surprises you about poetry? I have an inquiring mm-hmm. mind. I want to know. So I've got to ask. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Our next poet tonight is Kathy Barham. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, listeners. Um, I'd like to start with a poem written by a dear friend of mine. She was a dear friend to Kathy and Allison's also. Um, she was a, a wonderful poet in her own right and a wonderful mentor. And we lost her in uh, 2016. Um, and this is a poem by A.V. Christie called Winter Miniature. We speak of seeing the big picture, but what of the little picture? Size of a postage stamp. Snowmelt, hastening, saying in the ditch, a light note, what's more, what's glorious, reaching all through you, suddenly, high gloss on the far fields, it's mine, my son, flushed with evening, my unmet, met, kindred, making her languorous stretch through cloud, and he said, all one has to do to make the miraculous the norm is to make the miraculous the norm. I think of my thumbs and forefingers, a little viewfinder square frame, 
each ice bush, bush lit in it, open to every light. There's something more here than light and everything shining with it. The next poem is a eulogy to another dear friend I lost um, in this past February. Um, her name is Judith Shepard, and we taught together and taught high school together. Um, so the poem is Eulogy to Judith Shepard, 216.42 to 2622. Passed away, I think you'd agree, sounds too delicate. Floaty like clouds passing only to return. You died too thudding and final. Despite your cancer, you persevered and kept that verve, audacity, and mirth until the end. So when you lay in hospice so diminished, so silent while you slept, we were ill-equipped. It seemed so recent that we'd heard that signature unabashed cackle or been caught in up-close, lengthy conversations with you, and nothing got past you. I remember your marching toward our young, new assistant principal the first day of school, grabbing his arm, asking, so how old are you, Andy? You were the matriarch of the English department, and even those like me, close to you in age, turn to you for coaching or counsel. Mentor and friend to many, including students from long ago who saw you as legendary, as larger than life. I fear I've made you mythic, Athena-esque, and how unfair to you who grew up in the Midwest who loved Mary Oliver's wild geese with its permission to be mortal, to be human, claiming your place in the family of things. The next poem is um, a, a based on a childhood memory of a tornado. It was the first and only tornado I've witnessed up close. Um, and this poem is in two parts. Tornado story. The air grew very still and turned a sickly yellow. I may have been 12, summering at my grandmother's in southwestern Virginia. I was standing outside alone. All the grown-ups must have been inside. The air grew very still and turned a sickly yellow. And then I saw it, a huge gray-black funnel twisting in the sky. I don't remember being scared or who summoned me inside where grown-ups were scrambling, wrestling with the safest refuge, cellar or behind the sideboard. Then behind the huge sideboard, my grandmother, mother, sisters, aunts, cousins, and I crouched. I still don't remember being afraid. Perhaps I stayed caught in the awe of the funnel. Perhaps I was caught in the spell of feeling more grown-up than the grown-ups I was watching closely. Poor Aunt Dee Dee was terrified of any storm. Later, I saw her smoking a cigarette in the kitchen. Two. But we were all fine. I don't remember feeling its effects, but afterwards we went outside where seven of our trees lay on the ground, devastating for my grandmother. The trees were large, so we must have felt the wind, but I don't recall it. What I recall as vividly as the twister itself was being allowed to help saw us out of our blocked lane. 
My uncle from New Jersey was called to help. The saw I was given was large, adult-sized. Then I had no pity for the downed trees, but ache for them in retrospect. But the sawing had to be done. How thrilling to be allowed to wield this deadly weapon with my grandmother and favorite uncle. I confess I had always envied grown-ups for the power that parenthood conferred. Discipline and rules, carte blanche, doled out accordingly. The bestowed sawing no doubt made me feel both equal and superior. The saw I was given was large, somewhat rusted and thick, fanged, and I loved it. The next poem is about a tamer wind. Um, it's a very short poem, and this is um, this and the next couple poems I wrote during the pandemic. This was fairly early in the pandemic, I, I think, um, because and and the title sort of marches into the body of the poem. Because of wind, we bend, not in supplication, but in unison with air. Because of wind. Our autumn bright leaves, humbled, dim to dream, and the sky follows suit. Um, the next pandemic poem is called The Patience of Trees and Birds Amidst the Pandemic. You stood in place, sometimes entwined with another, longer than I have lived. Sheltered in place from the pandemic, I watch from my window the lacy leaves of the green Japanese maple lift and sway in the breeze. So many trees surround me, bear witness to the birds who rest on their limbs, bear witness to the human who listens to the birds who call to one another and sing, each hopeful note, a momentary little antidote. Um, the next poem was also written during the pandemic, Afternoon Shower. Spring rain makes a collective sighing sound that dwindles to drops patting leaves. Backlit now, they gleam before evening. Soon light will exceed to dark and day to night. Daylight savings spent. The next poem um, is also a little bit later in the pandemic, <clears throat> excuse me, when I've gotten a little more complacent, um, along with other folks. Um, this poem's called Withheld. It's dusk and day is veiled. Trees and grass lose definition as if suspended, permission to relinquish after a day of goings and doings and tickings off a list with smug satisfaction. This blurring soothes. I have no obligation whatsoever other than savor the quiet, the dreamy spring green, the azaleas and dogwoods, their bright hues dissolving into dark. The next poem is called Price. And this is more about um, getting a little too complacent and casual um, as the pandemic, um, you know, this is a fairly recent poem. Price. When the pandemic began, a kind of parenting took hold. I fed squirrels, chipmunks, birds daily, 
Even insects I rescued from a sink or shelf and gently put outdoors. As the number of deaths increased and relatives denied goodbyes, perhaps I wanted to give something, anything, if only to an animal or insect, because I could. Because in stark contrast, my health was spared. Because retired, I had no job to lose or risk of getting COVID from. No one close to me had died. I was well while much of the world was suffering. Being confined offered presence, and being present, grace. I live in the woods, and the pandemic provided a necessity. Trees, bluer skies, bird calls distinguished in quieter air. And now, two years later, unmasked and unencumbered, I resume. In the grocery store now, some still don masks, reminding me of my own complacency, preparing for a trip, forgetting already how to be still. My last poem is about that trip to Jamaica that I was planning. Um, And just a couple notes. Um, There's a reference to annals, which in case you don't know, they're tiny lizards in the iguana family. And there are a lot of them um, in Jamaica and Treasure Beach where I was staying. And the other reference is to Thumbergia, which is a climbing plant with beautiful purple blossoms that Jamaican hummingbirds love. And the poem is called Fecundity. An ugly, dirty-sounding word beside my waspish childhood mores. Here in Jamaica, I eat mangoes that fall like manna, peeling them with my teeth, burying my face in the sweet, sticky, stringy orange mess, then jump in the ocean to wash it off. Proliferation abounds. Mangoes, bananas, passion fruit, annals, tiny surprises on a wall or tree. Large, loud hummingbirds, canary yellow-bellied and scrappy, raid the purple thumbergia. Huge bird of paradise leaves sway in the breeze, casting shadows that catch me off guard. Meanwhile, the waves keep repeating themselves, susurrations or giant sighs. It's my last day in Jamaica, my last day waking and falling asleep to the Caribbean's murmurings as if tempering those body terrestrial displays. So unlike the tame terrain I return to, Philadelphia suburb, Sylvan and white. Thank you for listening. All right. Thank you, Kathy Barrow. You know, as I... As I listened to you, you shared with such conviction and strength and power. It was wonderful. Thank you. I don't know, but I felt like, and I was thinking about it, that it seemed to me as if you walked into your skin as a poet. That's how I felt. Um, (laughs) I like that. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions. You know me. All right. <laughs> when you think about your life, as I asked Allison, and your earliest work, how does your message differ today? 
Well, when I first started writing poetry, most of them were either laments or tirades against those I thought who had wronged me. Um, Mm -hmm. And as I get older, (laughs) uh, first of all, I find that self-boring, pretty predictable, you know, very adolescent. Um, So I find I'm more interested in one uh, writing about and two others. Um, And I also feel like a lot of my poems seem to be about stillness. And it's almost like I'm trying to capture the unsayable. Like what what I write, I feel like I'm almost writing between, um, I'm writing in spaces between the words, if that makes any sense. Um, And and I know I'm on the brink of new, um, I have, I'm, I'm on the brink of writing differently and I'm not sure exactly where I'm going but I think it has something to do with um, uh, trying to capture what is otherwise unsayable all right very nice very nice do you think you were meant to be a poet my friend well I've been writing poems as long as I can remember and as I said I usually um, wrote because I felt I was misunderstood or misjudged um, okay. but I find, right. out what I, I find out what I'm thinking or feeling by writing I often don't know what my poem's about until I get to the end of it and even then sometimes I don't know what it's about well what surprises you most about being a poet um I, I want to echo what Allison said. I'm surprised that poetry has becoming so acceptable and, um, you, you know, people are self-publishing. Um, you run into poets online. And anyway, I, I just love that um, poetry seems to be coming back into vogue. You know, at one time, poets were considered bards. <laughs> they were honored. Yes. Um, and then we were kind of mocked, but I feel like poetry's coming into its own again, and I love that. Fantastic. Thank you again so much. I'd like to bring your sisters in for their comments. Thank you, Michael. All right. <laughs> Kathy, this is Christina. So I love your passion. As you are reading, I can just feel the passion that you bring to life. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's- um, and I want to uh, say, Kathy, I, I think this is one of your best readings that I've ever heard you do. Um, I, <laughs> it was fantastic. Your strength and your conviction um, and just the, the music of your words. So. Yes, Thank yes, you. it was. Oh, yeah. I, w- I would love to say um, I, I know some of Kathy's work and we've been together a lot. Um, I love the images. I loved um, in the tornado story. I've never seen a tornado. Uh, um, maybe I did once, along you know, when I was in college, in a distance. But but I really have a sense of it. I don't want to see it too close up. But um, simply yellow, so well described. You can see its awe of the funnel, uh, the, the you know, um, the power, the thrill, and the power. Fanged, and I loved it. Um, about the saw um, and sawing with the grown-ups. I, I so much love all of these stories. I can so easily be in them with you. And there are, of course, so many great nature images. I love because of the wind we bend. I mean, there's just so many things. 
to love and you do it so subtly we don't even know I don't even know how you do it and you make it look easy um, but I know it's not that easy so I, I just love what you're doing and um, you know and yes this is a great reading for you Kat Thank all you. right all right fantastic all right our next reader tonight is the one and only Kathleen Cohen <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. Um, so hi, everybody. Um, I'm a teacher and a painter as well. And the first poem I'm going to read is a poem by Elsie uh, Lasker-Schiller, translated by Babette Deutsch and Avraham Yarmolinsky. So she's a touchstone poet for me. Um, similar to Hilda Morley, I think contemporary, but she lived in Germany before World War II, and she eventually emigrated to Israel and died in Jerusalem, but she also was connected with um, expressionist painters in Germany, um, the Blue Rider group, actually. She was an artist as well. Um, she really resonates for me because of her connection between visual art and poem. She likes to uh, liked to reference Bible or Torah texts and psalms and passages like I do, and she talks a lot about art beauty, and also seems to have an odd relationship with God, <laughs> as I think I do. Um, and she writes both about trauma and about tenderness. So her first poem is dedicated to her mother, and it's called Reconciliation. A great star will fall into my lap. We would hold vigil, vigil tonight, praying in languages that are carven like harps. We would be reconciled tonight, so fully God overwhelms us. Our hearts are only children, eager for weary, sweet slumber. And our lips would kiss each other. Why are you fearful? Does not your heart border upon mine? Your blood always dyes my cheeks red. We would be reconciled tonight. If we clasp each other, we shall not perish. A great star will fall into my lap. So my first poem is dedicated to my mother, Connie Kruger, who died almost eight years ago, and it's called Lucen. Doves flip through sky, mother. I'd tie you to me. My fingers sift beads, mostly blue, like wavering sea stones, your eyes. You bequeath this color and elegant dresses, discarded rings, ring of days, how you curled into endless cooling, your voice cloudless. So I write a lot about the painting process because I'm doing both all the time. And this poem um, addresses that. It's called To Arrive in This Moment. I've been painting a still life for weeks, not once, a series of five objects. Jar, lemon, lemon slice, glass, and bird. I'll try to be clearer. Rose-tinted water jar, half-filled. Whole lemon, sliced lemon wedge, stemless red wine glass, plaster bird the size of my outstretched hand, which grasps a brush so balanced and fine-bristled that it extends my fingers arm, ribs, the pivot of my spine as to create the illusion of flight. 
This encourages the bird who's been warming the nest of my palm, but now flips to the turquoise scarf near the lemon and jar and peers out the window at a finch trembling a branch. What moves us most? Window light pours in, shifts this moment to the next, to the next. Arriving? Shadows tremble like voices, like smoke. I arrange and rearrange where objects sit, how they relate, like I'm trying to pray to get the prayer right. Maybe it's my counting. There aren't five things here, but also the sky blue scarf, white table beneath, the window and clarity of light it admits, plus shadows, plus souls, plus vibrant puddles of paint that tremble with each dip of the brush by my frail hand, arm, and ribs each time I reach to fly, to pray. So um, this next poem is called Peonies, and it's, it's about sometimes painting is a spiritual experience and one of discovery, and sometimes the selves that emerge when I paint are surprising. So peonies, these aren't my favorites. I grouse to the spirit who wakes me to circle the block at dawn, alert on the hunt. She loves to transgress, leaping fences as I lurk and scan for neighbors gulping coffee in doorways, eyeing me suspiciously. Snap, just snap off a bloom from this bush, she commands. Then we'll jog around the corner and grab another. You love to paint them, she taunts, and not the blousy ones past their prime who droop. Pick a tight pink bud with all that potential to reveal, to shine light through its tissues. You'll want to pop them in a glass or some transparent vessel before it shatters, before heat and time coax out the flower's tongues. Oh, yes, these blooms will sing for a day or two. They'll blush and make promises, then scatter. Every year they'll scatter. Don't stand there looking shocked. Grab your brush. So this next poem um, is dedicated to Jonas, a student of mine. I'm thrilled to have him as a painting student this year. He's a talented high schooler who comes to paint with me weekly. It's called Overcome. And the epigraph is, art does not reproduce the visible, but makes visible by Paul Clay, the artist and writer. Before my student arrives, I set up a still life in the yard. We won't try to paint the overgrown garden, only a clutch of black-eyed Susans in a chipped white vase that sits on a slatted brown chair, straight-backed, backdrop to the pearly vase, the sunlit flowers, and such light I hope he'll notice. All summer we toil at landscape, but he airs as I aired when first stepping out to the garden, grasping a brush, overcome, trying to render each leaf, each bird flit, visible and invisible. This next poem, Between Doctor's Appointments. 
this swath of land, all texture and surface, all light and shade. I perch on the edge of a bench. No need to enter the park, which gleams and burns the eye. Better to sit in shadow, throw open my palette, scumble ochre on paper as background, as ground, then add layers of color. I have only an hour to learn why I was drawn here. What arrangement of branches, hollows, and paths might point to what's holy? Or is it all vessel and veil? And whatever pulls my eye needs notice. Whatever I render will be enough. Well, I'm lucky to have five wonderful grandchildren, each one artistic in their own way. And this poem is called Painting in a Field with My Grandchild. We squeeze out pigments, brush out our momentary markings, our views. When young, she'd push a held brush across a page, extending my hand and her need to mark space. Believing that she alone rendered that geranium, she shouted red in triumph, claiming a piece of the garden, retaining its spongy petals, its blush on the wall above her crib where we taped it. Now, years later, she scowls, mixes on her palette various bright and cloudy pools, trying to imitate nature as those of her age want to do, as I want to do. Should I tell her I always fail, but sometimes capture a gesture, sky-tinged gray as it contracts before a storm, or a particular laden blue of air before it pours out its colors. This next poem is for my son, Adam, the father of three of our grandchildren. It's called Mercy. Framed by the door, our son carries his dog as he carried his babies close to the chest. He motions us in the last day before the visit to the vet, last mercy. I recall our first sight of Milo, this puffball who chewed fingers, head butted into our laps, licked angles for salt, shivered and barked at thunder warning the family. Now blind, he barely hears. So much fails. But he burrows into my arthritic hip and sleeps as I whisper of past hikes, rousting chickens, burying our socks under the couch. So I'm lucky to be connected with a wonderful project in Philadelphia called the Soul Shot Portrait Project, which connects families of victims of gun violence to artists. So this year I was honored to paint a portrait of Kaylin Johnson called KJ, who was killed at age 16 last July. And this poem is dedicated to him. It's called After Image. Painting KJ's portrait, I peer at this beautiful boy shot in his parked car, waiting to ferry friends to soccer practice. His mother sends me photos that capture his smile, his jaunty shoulders. I can tell he was quick with jokes, sparking others. 
His mother says he'd jump to carry heavy bags for older neighbors, even strangers. The boy who shot him was a stranger. After image is illusion. The brain persists in seeing what's removed. Sometimes color memory is repressed, sometimes brighter. I cry when I take up the brush. What about his skin tones? The reference photos lack saturation, and I've never met him. Or the background. Red brick for urban houses. Should I choose cobalt for sky? Something hopeful? This next poem is about climate change. It's titled Comfort, Oh Comfort, and the epigraph is from Isaiah, Speak Tenderly to Jerusalem. Daisies lie parched in their beds. Black-eyed Susans, stiff as straw, clutch yellow-petaled hats as if this could protect them from molten sun, from drought and dust. I resent Jeremiah's. I want to speak tenderly to my heart, but the heat is relentless. Leaves wither, figs shrivel on the vine. Some say there were two Isaiahs, one steeped in calamity, one holding out hope. We harvest tomatoes, whatever survives, but stop our watering. Maybe the heavens won't roll up like a scroll. So this poem, I have Natalie Anderson to thank. Um, um, the famous poet J.M.W. Turner from England, who did wonderful oil and watercolor paintings, um, often carried around a sketchbook, even when he was a boy. He was born in eight. Well, he was he he was born in the 1700s, but um, he was painting skies in 1815 when in Indonesia Mount Tambora erupted, and it had a devastating effect upon the atmosphere of the entire Earth for the next three years, creating a lot of smog and darkness and um, muted colors in the sky. So this poem is called Skies Sketchbook. I open a gift, a facsimile of Turner's brush strokes on thick cotton rag, almost muted on gray ground by time. I picture the artist as a boy, sprawled on the heath, flicking cobalt washes over rectangular surfaces as clouds massed or flew apart. Some pigments have proven fugitive over time. Carmine from cochineal beetles, Natural indigo now faded to gray. Only glints of blue remain. Still I study these pages and seek what must have soared above him, glimpse of thin blue fingers through ash and fog, like what hovers now. It's said that pillars of smoke surrounded the Israelites' tent and descended to muffle God's voice. And still, we build the fires for our own burnt offerings. So my last poem is about my mother. It was written this winter. It seems odd to read a poem about cold and winter now. But I have hope and trust that we will have cold again next winter. It's called Winter Flowers. It snows all week. A friend posts an image of peony buds so ripe they might burst. 
She says they can be stored for months in the freezer, stripped of extra leaves and laid flat in damp newspaper. Then presto, you can carry blooms to the table anytime, no matter how white the sky or how blank. My mother kept bushes near the porch and pressed them into our arms when we rushed home, the children fussing, needing naps. She thrust clippings into the car, blooms askew, so fragrant, so overwhelming that we'd laugh, as I do now. The sky so stiff, no green or blush in view, but something is unfurling. Thank you. Kathleen Cohen, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Splendid as usual. I felt as if I was sitting beside you as you were reading. Thank you. Or peeping over your shoulder, seeing what you were planning to write. (laughs) (laughs) When you think about life and your earliest poems, how has your message differed today? It's a great question, Michael. Um, What I, interestingly, the cadence and the music of what I wrote when I was in fifth and sixth grade, when I started (laughs) writing poems, is very similar. And some of the images are similar. I still really am connected to nature and to others. And birds always appear in my work um, as kind of a spiritual um, image. Um, but now I have longer sentences than I did and, and longer poems that dig more deeply and have a lot of questions. Um, I'm definitely also influenced by my lucky experience to have become a painter. Um, And so now my poems really um, talk a lot about the painting process and and words and images interact all the time. And that's what's different for me now. All right. All right. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Yes, um, definitely. I was a really shy, um, introverted (laughs) child and very um, sensitive for sure. And um, this was like someone who didn't want to talk um, too much. And so this was a wonderful way for me to inquire of the world um, and of myself, um, you know, what was going on and and try to understand things more deeply. So, um, yeah. All right. Finally, what surprises you most about being a poet? Um, that it still keeps coming, you know, that, that I still have so much that I'm um, curious about or want to share or learn about. And then what Kathy and Allie said, um, my life has become so rich through poetry, um, friendships and, and new ideas. And also the work I did for the last 20 years helping to um, build ArtWell, which is an art and poetry program for students in Philadelphia. So it really, you know, was like my life's work also. So that, yeah, say that. Very nice. Very, very nice. Your sisters, please share. (laughs) Please come (laughs) Kathy and Christina, I can see you at your easel as you are painting these words. (laughs) No. I can too. <laughs> All right. Other thoughts. Well, I've watched, I've watched, I've watched Kathy paint. She comes and paints in my garden, 
and um, she makes it look so easy. It's amazing to watch her do a watercolor while we're sitting around talking in the garden. And so I've had the privilege of seeing her paint. Um, and um, and what I love about um, these poems, specifically around the paintings, is for a non-artist, a person who does not do any kind of art other than poetry, other than writing, it is so intimate to... Um, be with a painter talking about how they think and see and what's moving them in the way using language we don't necessarily know. So, and, and she does it, Kathy does it in such a way that she really helps us see and that, that all the questions that are coming, we can, we follow it. And so I love that I'm learning, you're teaching me how to see. And I really love that from the point of view of a painter and so it's Beautiful. always new and exciting to me oh, very nice um, very very nice i'd like to echo what allison said um about i have probably 20 or more of kathy's paintings <laughs> <I'm her> big... <laughs> and i guess compliments on them or the same thing i've got going on in my apartment in my shabby shabby <laughs> um and i love the spirituality in both her painting and her poetry and the intermingling of the two I, i'm just i'm blown away by both genres <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you could open up a Kathleen Cohen art gallery in your apartment. So, if you've got 20 of her paintings, that's beautiful. I wonderful. I like that. Sisters supporting sisters. I like that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Our next poet. <laughs> Is Christina E. Johnson. Yes. Well, Good evening. Thank you. I am a woman of a certain age, and I have many titles. I'm a daughter, sister, wife, mother, aunt, grandmother, matriarch, and a friend. I'm a poet and a fiber artist who dabbles in creating quilts. That tells you a little bit about who I am. I'm going to read tonight, and the first two poems are going to actually be about by and a poet that I did not know, who was a contemporary of Langston Hughes. Her name is Margaret E. Danner. She was born in 1915 in Kentucky, died 1984 in Chicago, and I was able to obtain her book, The Down of a Thistle. So. The first one is The Bridges of Friendship and Understanding. And the book was written uh, in 1976. From Detroit in America to Africa, Zanzibar. From A as Alaska to Z. We must learn to agree that strength will be where friendship and understanding are. The bridge of friendship and understanding stretches from pole to pole. The bridge of understanding stretches from pole to pole, lacing all mankind together in one equal whole. From the great Norwegian fjords 
to South Africa's diamond mine. Our goals are to bind in friendships, dynamic design. To bridge understanding laces from pole to pole, weaving all mankind together in one equal whole. And the second one, excuse me, is called, and to their friends. I rejoice that I know no religion that regards aesthetic friendships taboo. But if I did, I'd break the rules for the soaring that results from association with all of you. And then my next one was me exploring why and how, not why, well, I'm sorry, why I like to write. Called writing. A constant struggle to share this gift of love. No longer does it matter how or whether the gift given is accepted, but the fact that it is given. Trusting you with heart and soul, pen to paper the words flow steadily as the ocean's tide against the silken sand. These words pull from the core, tells who I am and where I've been. Risking writing sends me on another leg of the journey to experience aspects of life only to be enjoyed through the adventure of writing. The next, excuse me, the next one is about change. And I know many of us go through or sit on the cusp of change most of our lives off and on. So change. Loudly a door slammed. Wait. I listen for a command to move beyond this sheltered place. I feel the urge to be still and wait. Silently chewing on my inner cheek, feet planted, unable or unwilling to move. There's a narrow opening, a sliver of light begs for an open mind, an open heart, an open spirit. Come, send off the onset of negatives. Be about change, constant change. Check the mirror for what was, only to see the future coming at me. Fast and furiously, without apology, it came. I wept. I wept for the renewal of dignity, honesty, and truth, and was overwhelmed by the return of peace, non-resistant to calm and retreat. And then I... That's my first two points that I read talked about friendship. The next two are about friendship and exploring relationships with these with friends. God watches and waits. I watched and waited for you to forgive your friend when it did not happen. I watched and waited for you as your joy dissipated into the night's thin air wandering away from the love I put in your heart. I watched and waited as you struggled with the pain and agony of being separated from your friend. I watched and waited as you slowly bowed your head, asking me to change their heart to how you thought they should be. I watched and waited as you realized you could only change you. 
I watched and waited as the light, the way, the darkness, and despair that were so long kept you unfulfilled. I watched and waited as my grace descended upon you, and you knew I had touched your soul, enlightening the path on which you would travel. I watched and waited no more, for I knew you had come full circle, having been forgiven, forgiving, and loving as the indwelling spirit granted you a forgiving heart. I watched and wait, my child, for you to come to me. I watch, but no longer wait as you renew, as, as you renew friendship lost and joyful days fill those sorrows past. I watch, and I give you love, freedom. This next one was because I had a friend that always asked me why I was her friend, or she was my friend. And it is simply entitled, You Are You. You are you. I am me. Different, yet so similar it scares me. Our paths wander, twist, and turn, crossing in various intervals, which have allowed us to strip away our outer veneers. We cry together and no longer attempt to hide the painful mornings of time's past. We can talk about anything. Yet we hesitantly walked forward collectively where never before ventured. You know me. I know you. Knowing each other in ways words are unnecessary to convey the depth of knowledge. I can pick up the phone and send you a hug, and your smile I hear in joyous sound. And certainly then fills the air. You always ask, why do you love me? What did I do to be deserving of this? My one reply is and will always be, because you are you. Unexplainable to me is the effect you have on my life. There are times when I ponder, but no immediate answer comes. Oh, but I feel good when we are together. Our minds and souls share a common bond, making beautiful music, so sometimes I hear discordant sounds. There's a magical energy flowing through our touch. Friends never momentarily render simplistic interactions. Every level of me is touched by who you are. Reasons seem so unnecessary, but I must again simply say, because you are you. Exasperated with my reply, let me attempt in your logical language to expand. You are love. You are freedom. You are smiles. You are support. You are giving. You are knowing. You are perceptive. You are happiness. You are ever-present in spirit. Too abstract? You are a knowledgeable, conversant person. You are thoughtful. You are an encourager. You are a child of God, unique in all you are and do. I love you because you are you. You need tangible evidence. I give you abstracts. I am me. The language of love defines another within our individual spheres of understanding. I see and feel your inner being, qualities which define your essence exude immediately upon contact. Those first five minutes made a difference when I met you. Others who know us need not ask what brings us this friendship, 
to see us together, they too know that there is a specialness between our spirits. They see us and feel the energy surrounding our interactions. You bring me great pleasure being alive, enjoying life. Being with you makes me happy. I love you, dear friend, because you are you. This next poem, I actually took a a workshop at Woodmere Museum, and it was called Writing Poetry with Painting in Conjunction with Hearing the Brush, the Art and Poetry of Warren and James Moore. So I'm standing in front of one of his paintings, and it is called Eye of the Storm. Whirling. Lifting objects too heavy for people to physically move, the air not contained by weathered standards this time of year. The earth assaulted and wounded by an aerial attack, round and round, scary sounds, something grinding and dissonant. The funnel, the funnel debris, water fill must land eventually. What damage is done to all in view? Homes, cars, folks that could not hide. Everything lost to a weather phenomenon that strikes without warning and cares not for our fears or concerns. No civility. I am here. Deal with me until I'm gone, only to return unexpectedly. Whenever. This next poem is is dedicated to a young man who was my nephew, who was 40 years old, who died in a bicycling accident. The one thing I will tell you before I read the poem is that he loved to eat. Didn't matter where, when, whatever. He loved to eat. Jamal. Hungrily, I feasted on a rainbow-strewn sky. My senses gobbling up the peaceful, calming nature of God's message that you were here. A message feeds my anxious heart. A feast, a luscious, my eyes beheld before shimmering away into a soft, fluffy cloud. Clouds which obstructed my view, overshadowing the presence felt. Chunk by chunk, faded and privileged to unlimited morsels of finger-licking truth. You are always sitting at my table. You are always welcome at my table. And the last one that I'm going to read is just a little bit about how fragile life is. And I think at the age that I am now, it seems like maybe even a little more so. It's called Life's Miracles. Right here, right now, I am aging. My body talks to me and I refuse to listen, though I am fearful of the words spewed forth. There is darkness in the uncomfortable terse words heard. I cannot celebrate the miracles of life when thoughts of death submarine the lights of life ongoing. This makes me question, question the great I am. What do you have in store for me? Me who wants to continue to savor the world around me, to breathe the breath of light, to smell earth's dirt, see the stars, moon, and the sun, to hear children sing and to treasure with excitement, love, and a grateful heart the life that I have already been given. So I thank you, Michael, 
I thank you, Allison and Kathy, for trusting me, and I thank the audience for bearing with me as I share my stories. Thank you so much. What can I say, Christina E. Johnson? To me, your work has a delicate and poignant elegance. And um, when you think about your life, my friend, and your earliest poems, how does your message differ today? You know, I read your question, and the first thing I thought, Michael, as I, I, as I wrote this, I like to think mm-hmm. that I exhibit more wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but I do some of that the other lady said, because I think our life circumstances change how we perceive our world. So we come to, I come to my writing from a different perspective than when I was a child or, you know, or a teen or a a young adult. So all those things add to, because it's who I am, but I get to expand upon, you know, those thoughts. All right. Very nice. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? Definitely. I, 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 I know a lot of my friends won't believe this, but I was really a quiet, shy introvert as a kid. <laughs> and right. as my mother would say, you don't miss anything because I saw everything, <laughs> but I didn't necessarily speak on it. <laughs> so it was, you know, words were important, so I wrote a lot. I didn't necessarily speak a lot. All right. What surprises you most about being a poet? Well, being a poet and an artist, because I think you know I am a quilter. I think yes. that I, yeah, I think that I'm always touched by how others react to the art. Mm. How others react. Mm. Yeah. All right, sisters, what are because you thinking? Was, what are you thinking? Of course. I'll go. I love your poetry. I love singer. <laughs> I love the tenderness and the spirituality in your poems, Christina. They're beautiful. Thank you. I'll, I'll go here too. Um, they are elegant, the way Michael says. I mean, you, you speak with such a wisdom and um, and compassion also and a lot of spirituality. Mm. And I'm holding on to your image of the mirror, checking for what was, but the future coming so fast. And um, I think you write about aging um, with such sensitivity. And um, I learn a lot from knowing you and having you as a friend. Oh, very nice. And you know what I can say just quickly is, um, for me, what comes through so um, deeply is Christina's, um, Christina, your generous, grace, graceful, kind heart poems. And all of mm-hmm. them, it's all you there. And your generous heart, their generous heart poems is what I, what I heard. And, um, oh, yes. it, you know, it's a gift. So that's Thank what I you. wanted to say. 
Wow. All right. Thank you all. Thank you all. All right. Thank you, Christina E. Johnson. Very nice. Very, very nice. All right. I guess it's my turn. I'm okay. the brother. Yes, yes. sisters and a brother. Yes, yes brother. Uh, <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to share a piece about my mom. She died uh, December 21st. 2021. I miss her so much. But I'd like to share this piece. And actually, the title of the poem is Shelling Beans. And I wrote it about 25 or 30 years ago. It's my signature piece. And it's the story of a young man who discovers through his mother's wisdom what real white, real wealth is, and why it's important to remember the common and simple things in life. And I dedicate it tonight to my sisters, my sisters in the name of poetry. Here we go, shelling beans. In a small southern town, not too far from the one that you no longer claim, I recently visited my mama. I needed to get away from the maddening crowd, the boastful talking aloud. Now, I am no longer what I once was. I left that back there just because. I needed to see her face. Behold, the originator of a race. I needed to let my mama know that her son was truly on the go. You see, in the grand scheme of life, mine was clearly without strife. Had overcome that small town mentality, embraced big city formality. I was a giant among men, degreed and all too big to fall. I want to let my mama know they had become all that and more. In the kitchen there she sat. Big, beautiful, black and fat, smiling from ear to ear. Her baby was home too long that he'd been gone. God's done come, old cousin, as she snickered. You see, some of her boys were in jail for jealousy, all times flickered. Mama, and a loud voice I proclaimed, for you, the world I've tamed. I'm bigger than big, bolder than bold. When I walk, my way is paved with silver and gold. So ask me, Mama, about my plate of riches and the people I've seen. You need some money, Hazel, my pockets are filled with green. Come, son, she said, and a voice both nice and sweet. Come sit here at the table and help your old mama while she's still able. Child, what a day I've seen. Grab that sack and help kill these beans. Mama, I said, with an incredulous voice, I came here by choice. I've been out walking with kings and queens. I don't remember anything about shelling beans. You see, shelling beans. Is what a common man. I gave that up when I left the land. So ask me, Mama, about my plate of riches. Do you need a new dress? I'll buy you one and lay with gold stitches. She looked at me in her wise old way. Although I did not know exactly what she would say, I knew that it would contain the wisdom of the ages. You see, she lived a good life. Therefore, her life's book was full of pages. She said, son, don't you ever forget, no matter how big you get, the life's about more than being able to walk with kings and queens. Life's about remembering how to do the common and simple things like shelling beans. You see, shelling beans is a time on a task. And if you don't remember how, then I should have never asked. But it means you've forgotten that true wealth comes from the fruit of the earth, from any place else. What is this real worth? 
So my son, tell me your story. Is it only of the riches and the glory? Was it also about remembering how you become the simple things like selling beans in addition to all that you've seen? Mama said, in a sheepish voice, that trembled, but not by choice. I do remember, I do remember. So I grabbed that sack and helped shell those beans, and we shelled for went on like hours, it seemed. But on that day, I did not mind shelling beans because I shelled them at the feet of a queen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I miss her so much. <laughs> and hopefully she's looking down on us tonight and join this program. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> Well, to me, you work together. I view as shelling beans with each other. You're shelling beans with each other. Yeah. And you're helping each other. Yeah. But you're not too big to help your sister kind. I, I love that about this group. Yeah. I love that about this group. I think you're absolutely phenomenal. And I'm not sure whether I shared with all of you the last time, but when you were here, I may have said it in one of my emails to you, your program received, had more listeners and downloads than any other in the five years I've been on the air. Wow. 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 So, not only do I love you, the world loves you too. Wow. <laughs> All right. Any final wow. comments? Yeah. Yes. Well, look, there are a couple of people, and I know you're, I know you're like tired and ready to go, but there are a couple of people online that have called in. I'd like to bring them on at least for a second to say hello to you, if that's okay. It won't take long. Oh. All right. Okay. Area code 212. The first three numbers are 686. You're on the air. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hello. Yes. How are you tonight? Any questions for the sisters? No, no questions. Hi, Just... Colleen. Hi, Tina. Tina Jones here. And I all think right, Tina right. is also listening. I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all, all of right. you for your beautiful, beautiful words and yeah. feelings. God bless you. All right. Thank uh, you. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's hear from one more, and we'll call it a night. All right. Area code 215. The first three numbers are 806. You're on the air. Good evening. Oh. Hello? Yes. Could it be Could it be me? Uh, two, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, <laughs> whoever it is, they're so stunned that they, <laughs> that they can't speak. 
<laughs> they have probably fainted. And uh, <laughs> it's such an amazing program. Uh, okay, well, all right. I want to thank you all for joining me tonight. Sisters in the name of poetry, we've got to schedule another one for 23 or 24. So keep writing, everybody. All right? Thank well, you, Michael. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, Have a wonderful evening. Yes, and to the listening audience, I want to thank you, too, for tuning in. And as I share every week, every program, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. All right. Good night. Good night. You were wonderful. <laughs> Everyone. Everybody was wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to be happy all night long. I can't find my outro. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.